Road to the Cup on ESPN LA, back with you for another exciting edition. Happy Wednesday to you this December 7th. I'm Dave Denholm. Every Monday through Friday here with Road to the Cup on ESPN LA, your home for world football. And this World Cup moves on without any games today. Felt weird. Felt weird, but not in a bad way. I thought I would be missing it more. I know that sounds crazy. I've enjoyed it really. I've really enjoyed the on-the-field stuff of this World Cup. Look, there's a lot of stuff, issues off the pitch. I totally get that. We haven't really addressed too much of that since the World Cup has started. I respect you if you're not watching it because of that or if there's issues. that. But on the pitch, I've really enjoyed it. But I didn't really miss it today because it was just a nice little break today. Now, tomorrow I'll probably be freaking out. It's been too long, right? But I thought I would like really would be upset because I love the – that's the beauty of the World Cup in a lot of ways is that rhythm every day. Let's go. But I kind of, maybe I'm getting old. Maybe I'm an old man. (laughs) I didn't mind it today, but I'm really looking forward to the uh, quarterfinals as well. We're going to be talking with Josh Gross about those coming up from the Southern California News Group. We love Josh. Big part of the show. You've heard him here before on Road to the Cup. But I got to jump right in. Jeff Carlisle of ESPN.com wrote a great, he's a U.S. soccer correspondent for ESPN, wrote up a piece where his sources are saying, right, that the U.S. men's national team, Greg Berhalter, the manager, is going to start discussions on a new contract, but also that Burhalter might, you know, thinking about a move to Europe or something like that. Here's my thing. Again, and I want to stress this. This drives me insane. Okay? This nearly ruined my day. And now, a lot of you, when you hear that, will think, well, Denholm hates Greg Burhalter. No. Let's put, let's nip that little uh, rumor in the bud. I don't. I thought Greg Berhalter, I have to stress this again, and then we'll dig a little deeper into what this the ramifications are. I thought Greg Berhalter was perfectly fine doing the job he did. One of some big games against Mexico, hoisted a couple of trophies because of it. Right? That's never a bad thing. When you beat Al Tree with a trophy on the line, yes, that's a good evening. That's a good coaching job. It appears the players like him, seems to have a good rapport. He's also recruited some players into the U.S. Uh, camp, maybe dual nationals. He's done a good job on that. You're not going to win all those battles, but he's done a good job on that. So a lot of outside-the-lines stuff. Again, even inside the lines, the United States played pretty well for this tournament. We both gave him a solid B. Mario felt the same way. Who was even the guest? We've had guests that said the same. Mark Rogandino gave him a solid B just after I said a solid B, and he didn't even know that was my grade, right? You can't think he did a great job because they did get beat by the Netherlands and got exactly where you would hope the U.S. would get, which, by the way, was the fourth time in the last five World Cups we've been to that the U.S. has made it out of the group, so that's no big shake. But it is solid, and it's not like Greg Berhalter's the worst choice to continue on. I just don't see the need. And here's why. And I, I was even talking to or listening to uh, over on SiriusXM, a good friend of mine, Brian Dunseth, really well-known, well-respected, has a show on SiriusXM. He's, of course, an uh, analyst on television for MLS and for, you know, former player. And he said he, sh- he thinks that Greg Berhalter should get a new contract. No. No. And here's why. You know, I started thinking about it. When did the U.S., a lot of you are not going to relate to this because some of you are probably weren't born yet. U.S. really started their World Cup. You know, the U.S. men's national team really took root in 1990. 
when it was a bit of a surprise. Well, it was a big surprise, but they qualified for the World Cup. Been a long time. Remember the 50, you know, we had guys, you know, nobody's ever heard of back then pulling off some big upset against England. I never heard of the story until I was well into my soccer loving time, right? It's, so it's, that's the distance. That's 1.0. The U.S. really started in the World Cup or started the men's national team journey at a high level in 1990, where we probably shouldn't have qualified, but thanks to Paul Caligiuri, we did. Got our heads kicked in, right? So then we were hosting in 94, and hey, got out of the group, did well. Did, got out of the group, didn't play great, but, and then the journey began. Had our ups and downs, no question. But then it, it, it struck me. We're still acting like children when it comes to world football. We're still kind of in the toddler stage. We're 32 years old. Grow up. Move out of your parents' basement already, U.S. soccer. Get a job. What are we doing? When we're going to reward just getting out of the group? Yes, I know we didn't qualify in 2018. That was a massive meltdown. Right? That, that should never happen, okay? That was like something that you don't expect. I expected to get out of the group. And honestly, so did Greg Berhalter, I would suspect. But come on, let's grow up here, U.S. soccer. It's been 32 years. You're not a kid anymore. we got to start behaving and demanding more. But the problem is, of course, the people running U.S. soccer, they're in the same kind of group with a guy like Greg Berhalter. They're in the same social circle, if you will. They played at the same time. They know each other very well. That's hard to break. We know that. That's real life, not just U.S. soccer. That's politics. That's business. I get it. Relationships. But at some point, we got to grow up. And you know what? If you're not the people to take a good hard look at it and tell the truth, then get out of U.S. soccer too. Because we can't just look at, well, okay, good enough. Here's a new deal. I don't care what other countries do. People are pointing to the fact that several of the teams in the quarterfinal now have a coach who's been around for more than... We're not ready for that. We're still a petulant 32-year-old who acts like he's 16 in mommy and daddy's basement. But we've been doing this too long. Grow up. I've been watching this for over 30 years now. This is not acceptable anymore. Let's, let's start being more unrealistic in how we fire coaches rather than keeping around too long. I would rather err on that side. Because you know what Morocco did? They brought in a new coach just months ago. And look where they're at. It's not the end of the world. Sometimes you've got to make changes. And aim higher. We are 32 years into this. Enough. I want to see some real success in my lifetime, and I'm not getting any younger. I'm looking at myself in the mirror here. It's, it's not pretty. I'm not 32 anymore, I'll tell you that much. Let's go. What are we doing? What did Greg Burhalter do that earns another, another four years of this? He was perfectly fine. He didn't do a bad job. And people can argue for him to stay. I can, I can hear the argument. It's not like it's such a slam dunk, like he was terrible. We finished 31st in the World Cup. It was like time to go, of course. 
And it's not even really about Greg Berhalter. For me, it's about let, let's grow up. Let's demand more overall here. And let's stop just with this. Wow, I know you all played together. I get it. Everybody wants to, you know, pat each other on the back and give each other a job. I get it. That's, some of that exists and it's going to exist. But maybe that's why we got to look elsewhere and we got to look bigger. And again, I know they're stylistic things, of course. Those things have to take care of themselves too on the pitch. But, you know, also, I'm tired of just handing over the keys to somebody and just sticking with them. Right? Now, Berhalter definitely deserved his job all along the way. He earned his trip to the World Cup. I got no problem firing somebody four months before the World Cup if they deserve. Really? Do you got to grow up? I want to win. I'm tired of the, you know, the, the noogie and the shoulder. Well, good work. Good try. Yeah, the Netherlands, uh, they beat us. No, we were garbage in that match. Let's start telling the truth. And that doesn't mean we were like destroyed or the Netherlands is so much better than us. But that's unacceptable, that result. We got to grow up. It's 32 years now of this. 32 years. This is not 32 months. This is not some team rebuilding through the draft for a couple of seasons you can put up. 32 years. Enough is enough. Let's start winning. And I know it's not easy, okay? You can say the same about a lot of countries. I get it. But it's the aspiration of it. The U.S. may never win a World Cup. That is possible, right? It is. It's mathematically possible that the U.S. never wins a World Cup. Certainly in my lifetime, maybe in yours if you're a lot younger than me even. Maybe. So what? You're supposed to aspire to that every stinking time you play. And how many times do I have to have this conversation with people over 30 plus years? I'm sorry, I'm tired of talking about it. Let's grow up and start. And again, that's not just firing people willy-nilly or crazy. Oh, he lost one match to Panama on a bad night. or Fire him. But what are we doing even thinking about giving Greg Berhalter another deal? And it's really no through no connection to him at all, honestly. And my whole argument has really very little to do with the actual man who has the job. It's about bigger things. Enough. Thank you very much. Here's your, you know, your severance pay. It's time to move on. But that just might not be the case. Now, maybe Greg Berhalter, again, does us a favor and he wants to go do something else. Can't blame him for that. It's a tough gig. Fine by me. I wish him all the best, too. I do. I hope he goes and has a great managerial career elsewhere. I really do. Got nothing against the guy. It's not about him. It's about U.S. soccer. Get out of your mom's basement. Turn the video games off. Go get a real job. Put a sweater on and a collared shirt, U.S. soccer. Put on a nice pair of pants. Go get a decent job. Get an apartment for yourself and move out of your parents' basement already. Enough. Grow up. Oh, man. We're talking with Josh. Speaking of a grown-up, Josh Groves coming up next from Southern California News Group. If there's anybody who's a grown-up, it's him. He's just a solid dude. We love him. And also, I'll have my favorite World Cup matchups in terms of the quarterfinals coming up. I'm going to rank them one to four. You might be a little surprised, too. All that and some players who have really, uh, I think, made themselves 
well, not forget money. It's not about that. But these are players who deserve a big move coming up soon. Who I've noticed in this World Cup. If you have any of your own, hit me up at Talk Soccer. Don't forget you can podcast this show. If you miss anything, any of the interviews we've had or any other previous episodes, or if you miss it on the day of, you don't hear it on ESPN LA, you can't listen, go to the podcast, ESPN LA app, or wherever you get your podcasts, and you can download them there. Uh, yeah, if you want, subscribe, rate, review, all that stuff. I can take it. I'm a big boy, whatever you think. Road to the Cup, Dave Denholm and you, ESPN LA. It's Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. Welcome back on another glorious edition. No games. Felt weird a little bit today, I'm not going to lie. Not that I hated it, to be honest with you. Take a little breather, and we're going to have a, a chance to chat all things World Cup with a friend of the show, Josh Gross from Southern California News Group, covers LAFC, among other things, and uh, he uh, has been kind enough to join us again on the show. Josh, thanks for taking the time again. Uh, let's take a look now at your assessment overall now that we have a chance to breathe a little bit. We're into the round of eight. How have you enjoyed this World Cup thus far? Yeah, Dave, thanks for having me on. I think the next couple of days are days to get errands done if, if you haven't been able to focus on anything else in your life because of the World Cup. So enjoy it while you got it. Um, it's been fun. I mean, I, I think a lot of the focus uh, for, for me was seeing how the U.S. men's national team would do. And I think for the most part, it was a success uh, in 2022. I'm not sure how you could argue that it wasn't um, unless you just like have such off the charts expectations of what the U.S. men's national team should be at this point. But I, I think that was fun. And the action's been terrific. Some tremendous goals, some really great competitive matches, obviously some blowouts. But even then, you get some tremendous individual performances that you remember. So it, it feels distant. The timing is weird because we're in December. All sorts of reasons why it maybe wouldn't feel like a normal World Cup or some of the festivities would be lost, but uh, I, I think it's so far, competitively speaking, it's lived up to the billing. Yeah, we're, absolutely. I would agree with that. I had a question. Uh, I kind of talked about it in recent shows. And you, you brought that up just momentarily there, the, uh, the, the November-December kind of scheduling. Does this maybe open it up for other countries to potentially host in the future? I'm not saying Qatar or you know anything like maybe that small of a nation, or, but maybe some nations that probably not the best idea to host in june or july weather wise i mean i think anything's possible i think we've seen fifa now being willing to uh host world cup events in places that you wouldn't think otherwise and had to make moves because of weather considerations um you know i, I think other parts of the world where it gets really cold this time of year maybe a summer world cup is for the best but uh, I, it's you know we're getting the complete opposite in 2026, right? Where it's basically a continental World Cup, and uh, I don't think you can get much different. But it, it just shows the flexibility that FIFA has, and obviously there's been a lot made of what the process was to bring the World Cup to Qatar. You know how much of that deserves scrutiny, and what kind of scrutiny it deserves. I think no matter what, you're gonna have people who are saying this was good, this was bad, and in the end, you know the message sort of always rings true with a World Cup. When no matter what's going on with FIFA, wherever the event is. The World Cup is a is a four year event that stands up on its own and captivates the imaginations of a lot of people, uh, and I I don't see anything changing that. Josh Gross covers LAFC with the Southern California News Group in SoCal. We know him, we love him here on the show. And uh, Josh, let me ask you this: going back to the U.S. as you mentioned, uh, I was talking about it earlier on the show. Greg Berhalter, possibly a report from Jeff Carlisle, a great reporter from ESPN, talking about. Maybe he's starting to negotiate a contract. He has maybe some interest elsewhere. I kind of my thoughts are really separate from Burhalter in this, Josh, and I'll let you then comment on that. I don't I just don't feel a coach is necessary past one cycle now in the US's kind of 
where we're at in terms of our development. I think we just have to keep moving on, and and maybe that's a good thing for you know some people don't like that, but I think it's a good thing that the U.S. just says thank you, Greg, appreciate it. You did a good job. Time to move on. I think that's fair. Uh, extremely difficult work to bring a team to fruition through the World Cup qualifying into the World Cup. Uh, it's, it's, uh, and I don't think it's generally the most pleasant for coaches, I must say. Um, getting to know Bob Bradley the way that I did while he was at LAFC, uh, there was a clear distinction between U.S. men's national team head coach Bob Bradley and LAFC head coach Bob Bradley. Obviously, two men at different stages of their lives and their careers, but the pressure of representing your nation, of having that on your shoulders, weighs heavy. And there's no question about it. Um, and I think, you know, if you stick to that one cycle um, in and out, I, it can make some sense. I'd also say that for the U.S. perspective, I think it's important to keep the coach American. Um, I, just the sense that I have. Nothing against the Jurgen Klinsmans of the world, uh, who obviously uh, can do the job and have done the job. And we've seen plenty of nations have coaches uh, from uh, different parts of the world leading the, their group. And so I just think for the U.S. to maintain that continuity, to, to complete that sort of mission of what people hope the U.S. soccer may one day bring, uh, it's important to keep that coach American. I have no problem if they bring back uh, Greg Berhalter. Uh, I have no problem if, if he feels like he doesn't want to do it and wants to go elsewhere. I, I think the thing that people sometimes miss is that the hierarchy in U.S. soccer is not changing. Ernie Stewart's still sticking around. So, you know, it's, it's a lot of it's similar. Uh, the players will be very similar in 2026 that we saw in 2022. So that continuity can be important. But um, if if Greg's not fully committed to it, I don't, I don't think that's a job you want. You mentioned the players moving forward and the, kind of the continuity. One of the things that stood out to me, Josh, I'll see if you, uh, you know, maybe you saw something different. Uh, that midfield play was not that I didn't expect them to play well. It's a good group, but boy, they really, really showed me something in this tournament, I thought. Uh, you know, again, the Netherlands took advantage of uh, the wing backs and some things going on there. And maybe, the, you know, certainly the midfield didn't have their best game. But through group play especially, I thought the midfield was such so strong and maybe even stronger than I thought they would be. What really stood out for you on the pitch for the U.S. in this tournament? Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. I mean, the midfield was uh, tremendous. And, and we thought that coming in, that that was the strongest part of the team. Uh, and, it, and it held up that way. Um, if, you, if people had not really seen Tyler Adams play before, I mean, I think he had a tremendous group stage. Obviously, against the Netherlands, uh, he got caught back on, on, on one of the goals. And, uh, you know, people are going to remember the negative sometimes more than they remember the positive. But I, I would certainly feel like he established himself as a tremendous captain for the U.S. men's national team, leading that midfield alongside Eunice Musa and uh, Weston McKinney. Um, you know, and, and I think we, we did not see a fully healthy Weston McKinney, too. So uh, just lots to look forward to. One of the guys that I wanted to see get in the field more, uh, and you and I talked about it last time I was on the show, was Kellen Acosta. I think he would have added much more to the set-piece game and the crosses into uh, the box, which for the U.S. I think probably was one of the weaker elements of what they brought over the four games that they played. Um, but it's who do you take off? You know, it's really difficult to do. Um, but I, I think the U.S. is stacked. The, the midfield is incredibly deep uh, and then lo- lots of competition there. And as we know, you know, the competition inside the group is one of the biggest determining factors of how successful you'll be competitively. And I think that only speaks highly of, of where the program is and, and where it's headed. We're talking with Josh Gross from the Southern California News Group. You know him and love his work from there. Josh, as we look at these World Cup qualifying or quarterfinal matchups, I, I beg your pardon, the final eight teams are here, all with good reason. 
they all have their own strengths and uh, and and why they got here. Seems pretty uh, pretty good balance of four games. Interesting stuff. What are you seeing the rest of the way from this tournament? I mean, it's chalk, right? Outside of Morocco, it's basically everybody that you would have expected <laughs> to be there. Um, it's a tremendous quarterfinal. I don't think there's any game that you can look at and be like, "Oh, this is this is a walkover for for that uh, for one team or another." Um, I, it's just the big boys, the heavyweights now. And uh, I, I think it sets up no matter which way you go. Uh, unless Morocco pulls an upset of, of Portugal, then I think maybe some of the not, – I'm not going to say some of the lusters off of it, but it's not necessarily as attractive as semifinals as it would be, regardless of any of us uh, who won. I, the big question marks for me are – um, you know, Lionel, Lionel Messi, uh, is this is this going to be the one? It's the last one, the last opportunity. You have to imagine that. Uh, never going to have a better chance than that. But the potential of a Brazil-Argentina semi is just, like, too much to pass up. You, you really, nothing against Croatia or the Netherlands. But I think everybody, I think neutral would want to see that match. Um, and England-France is, I mean, it's as good as any final you're going to get. So in a quarterfinal contest, I think the winner of that game is going to come out of that side of the bracket to play in the final. And and meet you know whoever, whoever comes out on the other side who I think will be Brazil, but um, you, you can't go wrong. I mean you know as as the knockout stages go, really the round of sixteen was fun to watch. I think the quarters and semis and finals are just going to ramp up and and really deliver on anything I think you would have expected coming in. I think you're absolutely right. Great stuff as always from Josh Gross. Josh, thank you so much for taking the time, buddy. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. We will uh, take a look at those quarterfinal matchups coming up next. Road to the Cup continues here on ESPN LA. Road to the Cup, ESPN LA. Welcome back. I'm Dave Denholm, and uh, thanks once again to Josh Gross of the Southern California News Group for that conversation. Taking it back to a little bit earlier when I was talking about Greg Berhalter in the U.S., uh, Jeff Carlisle of ESPN reporting that uh, the U.S. is going to start negotiating a contract with him, possibly keeping him. Berhalter, he, in the article it says Berhalter has you know possibilities of you know thinking about maybe going to Europe and not you know not keeping the job. Hansi Flick is going to stick around Germany, sticking with their manager Hansi Flick through the uh, Euros, 2024 Euros, despite Germany bowing out second straight time they didn't make it out of the the group stage. So the U.S. in the last two World Cups has had more appearances in the round of 16 than Germany despite us not making the World Cup last time. So it's been a rough road for Germany recently in the World Cup, but they stick with Hansi Flick, who had been the uh, the um, assistant under uh, Yogi, Yogi Lowe, who had been around for a long time, of course, with uh, Germany. So Flick definitely has their confidence, but oof. So again, it's not about you know an automatic formula for the U.S. When I talk about Greg Berhalter, it's just the U.S. we got to grow up. Germany can do whatever they want. They've earned that. We haven't, and it's time to move on from uh, Greg Berhalter. World Cup quarterfinal matchups coming up. Of course, we don't have any matches today or tomorrow. They're coming up Friday, beginning Friday and Saturday, and I'm going to rank them right now based on what I want to, you know, the games I really want to watch comparatively. First and foremost, let me say this. Ranking them one to four is almost, uh, it's like one, one A, one B, and one C because they're all great. In their own right. You literally could pay. I'm not just saying that. These are not flukes, right? All these matchups are fantastic on paper for many reasons. So when I say, well, here's number four, I like to do lists going up to the top. I don't know why people do lists. Why do you do a top ten list and start at one? Who does that? What are you, Philistines? I mean, what do you? who starts a list at the top, right? I, I, I hate that when people do that with lists because lists are all the rage, right? 
I'll do lists of mocking lists. That's fine by me. But who does a list that starts with number one? I, uh, I had a bit, Mario, where I would do a top five list. I used to do – I did like a, for a while. I was doing an Instagram soccer show, just Instagram live every day. This is back like a couple – when I think it was the pandemic really. When it, and I would do a top five list. But I people freaked out because I, I do a top five list, but it might have seven, might have six, might have four, might have three. You know, who cares? It's just the name of the thing is the top five. Everybody's like, oh, you got to have five. Like – who cares? What is that? Doesn't matter. I mean, as long as you're counting up to one, you had to start with the lowest. So I'll start with number four. And again, this could be your favorite, and I wouldn't argue. It's Croatia, Brazil, and not because again, there's no negative to it. Brazil could win this whole thing, and they're amazing. Uh, this is a real clash of styles for me. So that's interesting in its own right. I don't think Croatia is going to be able to hold up enough against this team, although. Croatia got to the World Cup final for a reason last time, and they're here for this reason. They've got talent. So a fine matchup. I do want to see what uh, you know Brazil does moving forward, continuing, because they haven't really been really been tested. Now, they were tested in their final group stage match, but they had rotated nine players out. That's why they lost, right? So this group hasn't really been punched in the nose yet. So we'll see. This game certainly would uh, you would think would be a big test. So that's like my fourth, although I'm still pumped to watch that one, of my World Cup quarterfinal matchup ranking. Third is Argentina-Netherlands. And it's only because, not because they beat us, you know, like I just have no interest in watching the Netherlands again. I'll be interested in that match for Lionel Messi. And I want them to, I want Argentina to win. But I like this Netherlands team, eh. It's one of the things that was so disappointing about the U.S.'s performance because I don't think Netherlands was, eh, they're all right. Out of the 16 teams in the round of 16, I thought Netherlands was probably around 15th. So it's kind of disappointing that we we stumbled and lost to them as badly as we did, frankly. So, I, yeah, no disrespect to Argentina. I hope they go through that one, though. Still going to be interesting because Louis van Gaal is a manager's manager. And he certainly has enough talent on the team to cause problems. It's not as though Netherlands can't win this game. Any of these teams can win. It's just I think this one... You know, to me, it's you have to want Lionel Messi to win this, unless you're just a sick man or a sick woman who just roots against Argentina. Maybe you're Brazilian. Okay, fair enough. Okay, I get that. You know, or maybe you're English and you don't, you know, you don't want Argentina to do well. Okay, I can respect some of that in terms of rivalry, but otherwise, if you're a fan of football, let's go. Second ranked. This one to me feels like an old Mike Tyson fight. Like, but with a good matchup, like a good Mike Tyson bout. It's England, France. These are just two heavyweights that are going to go ahead and whoever hits the other's jaw first is going to win in all likelihood. So, and I'm not talking first goal. I just mean these teams are like, they're going to throw some punches. I got to believe that. I don't think England's going to back away. They better not. If they start to play a little bit of bunker ball, try to hit too much on the counter, France will rip them apart. So I think this could be a back-and-forth kind of big heavyweight fight there. That's what's so appealing. And, of course, you have the best player in the World Cup, you know, the way he's playing. That's uh, Kylian Mbappe, (laughs) surrounded by talent. And then you got England, who just as quietly just raking in goals. Like, they're not – you don't really look at this English side, even as you look at it and think, yeah, you know, everybody talks about Jude Bellingham. And maybe it was because the U.S. just basically put England into the 
the blender, essentially, especially in the midfield. Like Jude Bellingham looked like a $112,000 player, not a $100 million player against the U.S., frankly. He was terrible. The U.S. just destroyed England's midfield. Destroyed them. So maybe I've got a little bit of that recency bias, but they're still great. And England's, you know, like to me, it's amazing what they're getting out of this talent. Because it's great talent. Saka, obviously Harry Kane. Nobody has to talk about Harry Kane. I love the way he plays. So unselfish, too, for a striker. For a killer. For a stone-cold killer, Harry Kane's one of the most unselfish strikers I've ever seen. You know? And it's not like he's overly unselfish where you're like, "Eh, Harry, maybe you ought to shoot more. He's just like that perfect balance. He's such a good player. Very underrated. Even as good as he is and as well respected as he is. I think Harry Kane is still underrated in terms of what he does, especially for this English team. Because he doesn't it doesn't feel like he's a guy who feels like he has to have seven goals in this tournament to feel good about it. Harry Kane is a winner. So he can carry this I mean, this game could go either way, but I love the matchup. This is a Mike Tyson fight here in his prime. This ain't Mike Tyson versus, you know, with tomato can. This is this is going to be a good one. And the number one one, well, look, it's Morocco-Portugal for me because of the upset that Morocco pulled. And they deserved it against Spain. They shut down Spain. This defense is incredible. So I want to see what happens. Portugal is playing amazing football. Forget this Cristiano Ronaldo story. If he has to come off the bench, so be it. This team is just flying. So electric up front. Joao Felix is great. I mean, they'll pull a guy, Gonzalo Ramos, out of Benfica. What are these people doing in Portugal to create all this talent, by the way? This is not a huge country. It feels like Benfica and Porto and all these teams, all they do is like just create $80 million players. How is this possible? I got a tip for any uh, soccer team with uh, enough money to do this. Go raid the Portuguese teams and take all their coaches from the age of four all the way up. And just take their whole infrastructure and pay the club for it. All they do is turn players into gold mines of talent. So Portugal just, hey, yeah, we need another, yo, we need another 21-year-old to replace Cristiano Ronaldo today. Yeah, get the dude from Benfica. He'll score three goals and assist on another. I mean, what are they doing in that country? It's amazing. So Portugal can win this whole stinking thing. And yet, it's going to be tough to break down Morocco as well as they're playing. That's why I love this matchup, too. Yeah, there's always the intrigue of Ronaldo. I want the Cristiano Ronaldo-Lionel Messi final now that we're out of it. Now that the U.S. is gone and there's no other CONCACAF kind of underdog, I love the Moroccan underdog story, but I got no problem with Ronaldo versus Messi for the for, for every <laughs> for all of it. And yet, this matchup is really intriguing because it's like... It's immovable object versus the, you know, whatever force, whatever that thing is called, where the one, it's just Morocco's defense versus Portugal slicing through everyone. And can Morocco do it again where they hold off a team like Spain? Not not exactly the way they play, but just that dominance that Portugal's been showing. This is an incredible matchup. So those are my four from four to one. But again, it's one, one A, one B, one C. These are all... Really good 
really good matchups. Mario, you have any disagreements on there, by the way? I see you shaking your head yes or not. Dave, I do love it. I do love it, but I don't agree with all of it, but okay. I do love it. My my big one is uh, Croatia and Brazil. Really? So you're, yeah, you're flipping. Okay. I mean, you know, I got no problem with that. I got no argument. Like, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. I think Neymar has a chance to do something special in this one. Yeah, I can see it. And that's the beauty of this argument. There's no wrong answer. It's not about, oh, I'm wrong, you're wrong. No, it's our opinion, and they're all right. <laughs> in, my, in my opinion, they're all correct. So I got no beef with that. I'm watching every last one of them, I'll tell you that much. So I'm not, it's not like I'm going to miss one. And my second one is Netherlands-Argentina. I think uh, Memphis decided to show up in that last game. Yeah, fair enough. And if he shows up again, it could be dangerous. Oh, yeah, the Netherlands could definitely uh, hold Argentina. They could definitely defensively stop them. You know, they certainly are capable of scoring. We saw that. You know, maybe the U.S. isn't as bad as we thought against the Netherlands. Maybe the Netherlands is actually better than we thought. And they might go ahead and prove it in this game, too. That's, yeah, entirely possible. I don't disagree. Mario, I wanted to talk a little bit about play. We'll do that in the next segment. But players, too, that have uh, maybe earned that next step up. And some of them we've kind of heard a lot about. and Some of them maybe not. And wanted to just uh, talk a little bit about that coming up as well. This is the Road to the Cup. He's Mario Rees. I'm Dave Denholm, ESPN LA. Road to the Cup, ESPN LA, marching on on this glorious Wednesday. We don't have games, but boy, we've had a lot to talk about, and we still got more to talk about. I wanted to start with this uh, players who have kind of not made mo- I don't care about the money aspect, but have earned, I think, big moves. Now, one of them was already on the verge, and I think he's done nothing to, to hurt that, was Cody Gakpo of the Netherlands. Really solid player. The more you watch him, He's not like super flashy kind of superstar. He's just that guy. Like, I don't think he's Erling Holland, Erling Holland or anything, but man, is he just talented and he's so good. And he's 6'4. Like, he's a legit big man, too, who can run, who can get out wide, you know, but he can play up front. I love what Cody Gakbo's done. That's a guy who really jumps off the screen when you're watching him on TV. Even when you're, you know, certainly live, you can probably see more of his game and the way he moves and just the way he understands the game, too. I also like Mohamed Kudus. He's been very good. I've really liked watching him play. Now, he's, you know, he's a guy coming up going, you know, he plays Ajax. I mean, certainly he's not an unknown commodity by any means, the Ghanaian. He's been so good in that midfield. And what I like about Kudus is he kind of just takes what the game gives him. But then he also has that extra special skill, too. Like, he's not going to try to overdo it, and yet he has that flair. If you need a little something special, he reads the game very well. Again, he's playing for Ajax. It's not like this guy is not an unknown player. These two are certainly on the radar of everybody, but I think that they've really earned that next level, that next step up. And another guy, and I hope it doesn't happen because I'm selfish for LAFC, I thought Sebastian Mendes was incredible for Ecuador. I think they missed him dramatically after he got the two yellows in the first two games. Right? They crashed out in the third match. I thought they missed him dramatically in that match. It's unfortunate. You know, you got two yellows. He's got to sit out. You know, maybe, you know, you got to be a little more careful or whatever you want to, you know, that sense. So it's, you know, it's nobody to blame but himself in that way. But, man, I thought he looked really good in those first first two matches. Uh, He was best 11 quality type of thing now you know who knows maybe if Ecuador gets through you know they barely missed out on the round of 16 if they get through somehow you never know he's back in this round of 16 playing for you know again ifs and buts I mean didn't happen so that's the way it goes but 
Could you imagine if he was playing against England instead of Senegal? Although I love the Senegal team, and they deserve to move on, and Ecuador didn't quite get it done. They didn't deserve it, but they were missing Mendez in that third match. Bottom line. I thought he really... Now, I hope he doesn't, you know, again, (laughs) selfishly, (laughs) I would love to see him play for LAFC if we could, but, you know, he really... He really, and that's maybe like a guy who's not, he's not at the level of a Cody Gakbo or a Mohamed Kadus because they're just, again, they're already at like PSV and Ajax and clubs that are really well connected and well known for just taking those next player, you know, the player. That's where we're trying to get, of course, in the U.S. or an MLS or anything. But yeah, Sebastian Mendez, full credit, man. What a great tournament so far. There are other players, you know, certainly that I want to see in MLS because you see them here too. It's kind of a different thing though. For me, if I'm an MLS side, right, and I'm watching the World Cup, you're not really scouting the World Cup. There's just nowhere to go most of the time with that. What, are you going to go offer $90 million for Cody Gakpo? No, of course not. That's not where the league is at. That's not where they need to be. But, you know, it's more like, of course, you're going to think of, well, Messi, we're hearing the rumors, Sergio Busquets, of course, playing great for Spain, you know, and now they're out. But, you know, those are the kind of – but also – the the LAFC or I'm using LAFC as an example LA Galaxy MLS of course you're you're watching the U20s right you're watching the under 17 World Cup to get a feel for kids who are coming up I mean the US is a, you know certainly has talent at that level too and they're coming through the academies but I'm saying for scouting internationally look what the uh, LAFC did for the uh, you know some of those younger World Cup the underage World Cups Cifuentes, Chiqui Palacios, Francisco Janela. All of them were like nearly best 11 level at that one World Cup. And LAFC ended up getting three of them, you know, and not just American kids coming up through our academies or whatever. So that's really scouting the World Cup for MLS sides is generally, you know, unless you're talking about that one big superstar you want to get, maybe there is somebody that jumps out at you like that. I didn't see too many other, again, the rumors of Messi and Busquets, you know, and everybody wants a Robert Lewandowski. That's not going to happen. He just doesn't seem to want to come here. That's fine. Whatever. But, you know, those kind of things. You're not really scouting the 24-year-old who's ready to make the $90 million move. We're not getting Gonzalo Gonzalo Ramos from Benfica. (laughs) That's not going to happen. So, but, hey, who knows? Maybe in the future. But it is interesting to see those players who really deserve that next step up, I think. And, and whether they take it or not, it's usually the case in Europe that they're going to take that next move. right? You don't usually see a lot of guys who are 20, 21 at Ajax or PSV. Those clubs are ready to sell, and they're ready to cash in. And those players are ready to make those big moves. And I think those guys, those kind of guys, really prove that. One thing I wanted to mention, you know, I, I have to say, and I've railed against it in the past, if you've ever listened to me do soccer stuff, starting to kind of not hate the 48-team World Cup coming up in 2026. Yeah, I'm letting it sink in a little bit. Now, let me say this. I think 32 is a perfect number. I don't think there was any reason to move to 48. We all know why. It's more games. It's more money. Right, You're going to get more TV revenue. You're going to get more game revenue. I get it. So it's a move I didn't want them to do. Still don't. I think I still think 32 is the best number. But they've already you know, pushed that ship out of the dock, and it's on its way. We're going to 48 teams. So I'm starting to not hate it if they do the right thing. And by that, I mean four teams in each group. 
Don't do the garbage three teams in each group for 16 groups. Don't do it. That means many teams will only play two matches. That's stupid. That's a horrific, horrific reward for making the World Cup. Three matches compared to two matches is monumental when it comes to battling to get to a World Cup. And I know there's more spots given away, so maybe the battle's a little easier. Okay. But no. Go to the four teams in 12 groups. Yes, some third-place teams will have to go through. Fine, that'll just make the final day all the better, right? Think of how much better that match day three will be in every group. Because virtually every team will be alive. I mean, I don't care how bad you stubbed your toe in the first two games. Mathematically, you will be alive. There, it, it's virtually no chance you'll be eliminated, right? You could have lost the first two matches by double digits. And if you pull out a win in that final one, you might get through. As crazy as that, I mean, again, unlikely. You get my point, though. There's everything to play for. Too often you could have teams just kind of kicking the ball around if you only have three teams in a group in that final game because you won't have all three playing at the same time, of course. So, yeah, let's just, come on, go to the 40. I'm not hating the 48 because, frankly, I think it can, the world can stand it. There's enough great players around the world. There's enough talent. This is not the NBA where there's about six people who can actually play basketball now <laughs> that are any good. Maybe, maybe six. But you got 30 teams trying to fill it up with 14, 15 players per. And there's about five guys in the whole world who can actually play basketball at a decent level. This is sock. This is world football. Plenty of talent. So I'm not hating it. I would prefer 32, no question. But I'm not hating it. I'm starting to come around at it. We'll talk maybe more about that. Give me your thoughts at Talk Soccer if you want to hit me up on Twitter. Time now for one of my favorite bits. It's stoppage time with the great Mario Reese. Mario, how are you, buddy? Dave, I like the 32 teams. 32 teams means it's the best versus the best. And if we get too many teams that are in there. There is a chasm between 32 and 48 for me, too. Don't get me wrong. Chasm. I don't want 48, but that ship has already sailed. It has sailed. Right? So I want to make sure they do it right. And I'm starting to come around to if they can get it right, okay, I can live with it. But I'm with you. Like right now, every game matters. Every match matters right now. If I know, Mario, but we're complaining about something that's gone. It's gone, yeah. You know, that's the, like we, we had our time to complain about it. That's fine. I did too. I totally agree with you. Still only won 32, mind you. That's my first choice, and there's not even close. But I know there's 48. So how are we going to do it right? Well, I'll tell you somebody who is doing it right is uh, Killian Mbappe. Killian Mbappe is definitely doing it right, oh. and he's killing it. And I got an interesting stat here with Killian, just to give him his flowers again, because he deserves it so much, especially in this World Cup. Killian Mbappe has reached 250 professional goals in 150 fewer games than Cristiano Ronaldo and 19 fewer games than Lionel Messi. Wow. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, Ronaldo got off to not a slow start in his career, but he wasn't like a big-time goal scorer in a young age, yeah. like super then young. Then he started to rack him up. So that, yeah, that's why, because Mbappe is just like a freak of nature. He's still young. Still you young. Know? So he was scoring right from the jump as a professional, too, like, what, 18, 17, 18 years old. And he has another World Cup to be in in 2026 as oh, well. He's going to shatter all the records. If he wants to, he will. Right. I mean, it's just a matter of math at this point. Um, But I will say that he is not still not 
for me at the level of Messi or Ronaldo at their primes. Now you can argue he's the best player in the world. Fine. I got, you know, again, really can't beef with you about that now. But he's not at that stratospheric because I put Messi and Ronaldo in with Pele and Maradona. To me, those are the four best players. You could argue some other, if you want a Zidane. You know, there's other ways you can argue it. Maybe a goalkeeper you think was, you know, we just don't talk about it. I get that. But those four are just at a different level that everybody knows. They're like, and Mbappe certainly is well on his way, but he's not there yet, of course, to me. Even though he won a World Cup. What would it take for Killian to be in there, in that group? I mean, would it take a More second time. World Cup trophy? Well, I mean, that won't hurt. And certainly would go a long way. But, he's on his way. But even just more years, you know, like he's just not there yet. That doesn't mean he won't be. But I also don't see him. And I don't know, maybe it's just weird to say. It's just an eye thing. It's an eye test thing. He's a mm-hmm. great player. He doesn't quite look like they did in their primes. All four of them, like if you really think about it. Now, again, he might just have those numbers. He might just barrel through the door and say, hey, I'm the best. And you probably won't be able to argue with him in a few more years if he keeps this up. And maybe it's also that he plays at PSG where we don't watch him enough. Maybe he's surrounded with better players, better quality of players on all of his different teams that he's been on. Well, I don't know. The league, you know, French league is, is, is pretty good. I mean, it's not, you know, but he, his team is so yeah. loaded. It's kind of like a Bayern Munich Germany thing where it's just no yep. real competition for his team. But we also don't see him enough, right? Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people are watching the French league more than I am. I just don't see a lot of league on, you know. So maybe that's a little bit of it too, because maybe he already is one of the best there ever was. Maybe <laughs> he may well be. You might be onto something there. Great stuff, Mario. Appreciate that. With stoppage time, this is Road to the Cup. I'm Dave Denholm. Don't forget each and every Monday through Friday, right here on the home of Road to the Cup. It's ESPN LA.